Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you, you love us enough to speak to us. You don't leave us on our own, but you've given us your word. And we thank you for the privilege we have this morning in this country of being able to freely meet, to freely gather, to, to read it, to study it, to hear from you, to encourage each other, to, to praise you. And be with us now. Speak to us now, please. Lord, wherever we are, whatever this week has been like, wherever we're feeling at the moment, would you speak to each of us? In Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you um, will know the study involving a man called Pavlov, Pavlov's dogs. Um, we might have to rewind our brains back a bit to O-level, GCSE, biology, or something like that from secondary school days. Um, if you've not heard of him, hopefully this will um, make sense anyway. But um, Ivan Pavlov was actually a physiologist, I found out this last couple of weeks, who came across this concept of what we now call um, classical conditioning. It's essentially, it was an experiment whereby he would um, feed a dog and, and ring a bell as he fed this dog. Um, and then the dog would begin to associate the bell with food. So they would hear the bell, and before food arrives, the dog would salivate. And you ring a bell and don't give them food, the dog still salivates. Pavlov's dogs. What's dog saliva um, got to do with church on a Sunday morning, you may ask, um, as may I. But if we... You see, if we learn to live and to react in certain ways to particular stimuli, if we experience conditioning in all kinds of ways in our lives, what happens if your life fundamentally changes? What happens if instead of living for self, as you've always done, you now live for the God who made you? Instead of life being about me first, and what I want, and my appetites, then suddenly life becomes now about him, and living for him in a way that pleases him. And so beforehand, without thinking, we would live a particular way. Now you follow Jesus, you live a different way. And so now maybe you don't take revenge, you don't hold a grudge. You don't lie to protect yourself. You don't put yourself first the whole time. Because your life has changed now. It's not about me first. It's about him first. And this big idea for this short kind of New Year series, which I've dreamt up before Christmas and I'm now slightly questioning whether it was wise, but the big idea is this. It is easy for us to believe the gospel message... And yet, as Matt was teaching the kids and the rest of us, to, to believe the gospel message and yet live in a way or live in ways that are at odds with that gospel message that we say we believe. We, we can know something, we can be doctrinally correct, we can tick the box, we can say, yes, this theology is something I agree with. We can know our Bibles back to front and front to back, and on a Sunday, yes, tick, tick, tick. Monday, well, our lives don't match up to what we say we believe. We live in a way that is at odds with the theology that we believe in. We are inconsistent. There is a disconnect, the title for the series is. Now, if you've got some self-awareness and if you're honest, you will know that that's true in all kinds of areas of life. This isn't just a church thing. We are an inconsistent, disconnected people the whole time. It doesn't matter that much. Some of the time, imagine with me you are... 
On paper, you know that flying an air or travelling by aeroplane is an incredibly safe way to travel. And yet you are still utterly terrified. You refuse to fly. You might even be a keen advocate for air travel because you know that it's, I don't know, quick. Or you might even work for British Airways. Or you might have a hobby of spotting aeroplanes. You might love them. But can we get you on an aeroplane? No chance. Only with tranquilizers. It's like Mr. T in the A-team. You will not fly. We are inconsistent. We're inconsistent in all areas of life, if we know ourselves and if we're honest. And so for believers, it is possible for us to, to know something and yet to live a different way. And so what we're going to do each time um, for this little series, these next six weeks, um, five more after today, is to look at one verse each week and to try and see something of why there is this disconnect in our lives and then to ask the question, well, how does reflecting on the character of God, how does reflecting on the gospel afresh help us um, and shape us and mould us more into a Christ-like way of living? To see how that is the answer. Now, one of the me- reasons this matters, um, I think, corporately for us, not just as individuals, but corporately as churches, is a, um, a podcast I listened to last year, I know a number of you did as well, called You're Not Crazy. If you're a lover of podcasts, Google or search in your favourite podcast app, You're Not Crazy. And one of the ways that they do this is they think about something called church culture. You see, this matters because the way in which we do things as a church, the way a church feels, the way we interact, the culture of a church, if that is at odds with what we say we believe and what we preach, then that really matters. Because the way in which we do things is part of the message If we preach forgiveness and then are not forgiving with each other, that undermines the reality of the message that we say we believe. If we preach mercy and we're not merciful or grace and we're not gracious, then these things really matter because the message that we give out undermines the truth that we say we believe. Let me run you through the topics. Um, Hannah's designed one of these amazing um, term cards, which you may have been, you may be sat on or given to you on the way in. So um, if you've got that, then that will help. Uh, this is the introductory one is just kind of thinking through these concepts. Next week we're thinking about um, gentleness from um, Philippians 4 verse 5. We, we will see that God is gentle and kind with us. We will look at the, the reality of what Jesus was like, his gentleness with people, all kinds of broken people, and then think, well, why am I so harsh sometimes? Why am I so ungentle? Next one, week three, Romans 15, 7. God welcomes and accepts us in all our mess and all our chaos and all our unfinished business, arms open wide, smiling face for us. And yet then we can be so judgmental and unaccepting and unwelcoming. Fourth one, loving and honouring. God loves and honours us. The baggage that we bring, but then we struggle to love and honour each other. Fifth one, retaliation. God doesn't retaliate. He doesn't rub our noses in it. He doesn't treat us as we deserve, and yet our knee-jerk reaction so often is to retaliate, to chuck words back at people, to lash out. Or sixthly, finally, humility, 1 Peter 5. Look at our king who deserves our worship, who deserves our all. In humility, he lowered himself, he humbled himself, and yet we can be so proud and so arrogant and so selfish. Wouldn't it be extraordinary to be to be a church like that, to be known for our Christ-likeness. 
to be known for, for the, the words that we preach and our lives that are seen to match up together, that we would be gentle and welcoming and humble and loving and non-retaliatory. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? And if that sounds a bit conceptual, then hopefully as we look at Galatians 2, you'll see something of what it works out like in, in concrete. In fact, we'll see that the disconnect, as Matt was teaching us, the disconnect between what the, we say and what we do isn't a new thing. It was one that the early church wrestled with from the very beginning. And so we shouldn't be surprised that we are here again this morning thinking about that kind of thing because there's something of human nature in that. Um, I, I wanted to kind of give you a, an illustration to kind of hang the series around. So bear with me and we'll keep coming back to it week on week. Hopefully it's sufficiently concrete and memorable and a bit weird that you will latch onto it and you are oh, okay it'll make sense imagine with me if you will you are a high profile celebrity hey let's imagine we're Nama in 10 years time she's hit it big in the acting world let's not but imagine you're a high profile celebrity and you've got all the followers you ever dreamed of all the parts in all the films that you wanted everyone's talking about you it's 2022 and it's it's the year of going vegan and veganuary goes very well and that was easy. February was fine. March was good as well. Uh, April is your birthday. And on your birthday, you always, as a family, go out to this particular restaurant. Um, and you always go there. It's a family tradition. You've always done it. You always will. Um, parents and grandparents and everybody comes. And you go and you have your usual meal. You have peanut butter milkshake. You have double fried fries, double baked fries. And you have medium rare steak. And your family, looking at you confused, the plate arrives in front of you. It's your birthday. There are presents. To, they think, well, maybe you'll just eat the fries and the steak. And, and no, there you are with your steak knife digging into your medium rare steak. And the cameras snap from outside. And the paparazzi have their image. They've got their front page. And you see, what you say and what you do do not match up. There's a disconnect. And you've not even noticed that you were eating steak because you've always eaten steak on your birthday. That's what you do. That's just part of, the, that's part of the tradition. That's what you do as a family. You've always gone there. You always eat that. Well, so for us as believers, as we, as we change from what we've always known, our conditioning in the flesh to this new way of living takes time. We were, as believers, we were in Adam. We were me first. It was all about us. And now we are in Christ but who we truly are in him with new hearts and new allegiance and new ways of doing things and new priorities, it doesn't match up to us in this place, in these bodies at this time. We're unfinished. There's a disconnect. There's a tension. There's, there's the now and the not yet. A daily putting off of the old in Adam's self and a putting on of the new in Christ's self. So let's come back to Galatians 2. 2 and verse 14 particularly. That is where we're zooming in. And hopefully you'll see something of where this works out. I'm trying to give you the broad kind of parameters and perspective. And we'll fill in the detail over the next five weeks. Let me just read verse 14 again. When I, when I that's Paul, when I, Paul, saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Striking, isn't it? How we live, the way that we live, sends a message to those watching. People are watching us. 
our steak-loving vegan celebrity with their disconnect, with their inconsistency, that was about to come back and bite them. But people are watching, and Paul is especially aware of that. Paul is aware that our lives tell a story. And as Peter begins to refuse to eat with Gentile Christians, that's dangerous. Do you notice what's going on? So Simon Peter, fisherman, he is ethnically Jewish, yet he now lives like a Gentile. He doesn't adhere to the various laws and markers that he used to before he followed Jesus. And yet now he is refusing to eat with Gentiles. Before we go there and think of why is he doing that and what's going on, let's just pause on the idea that people are watching how we live. I think we need to. I read a quote the other day from an evangelist, D.L. Moody, who said, out of 100 people, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. Which means the work of Gideon's, for example, is really important because they put Bibles in different places and And I know of a number of people who have picked up those Bibles and who have had lives transformed by them. But if D.L. Moody is right, what normally happens first is that they have a friend or a family member or a colleague or a neighbour whose life they have observed. And they have read them first. They've read us first. People are watching. And Paul knew that as Peter changed his eating habits, that mattered. So let me ask um, you, who has the Lord put in your week, this coming week? Who's watching you? What story does your life tell? I reckon that's a particular challenge or responsibility for parents. Any parents in the room? Because our kids see us at our worst, don't they just? But it's true in any kind of community. And it's good that we ask that question, that we are mindful and aware because our lives communicate truth. Our our lives tell a story. Paul is aware of that, and so he challenges Peter publicly. I take it public wrongdoing leads to public questioning or public rebuke. But what is the issue? What is the problem? Well, that phrase that Matt picked up on for the kids' slot is really helpful. Peter was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. That's what verse 14 says. This isn't a personality clash. This isn't Paul being an exhibitionist or anger issues or some kind of power play to put Peter in his place. It's because fundamentally Peter's actions did not match up with the truth of the gospel. They were at odds with the message of grace. Now, if you know the situation at all in Galatians, um, Paul famously says they've been bewitched. That is, they had understood grace and they had grasped it. They, they had known that God had brought them into his family. And yet it's as, as if they had moved on to law. They, they went back to law in some way through dietary regulations, through, through food laws. And so God becomes a sort of divine vending machine where we, we slot in our obedience and out comes the goodies, out comes the blessing. They were bewitched into thinking maybe the gospel is just for starters. You come in by grace and no, it's on by grace as well. It's not on by works. You don't graduate from grace. There's nothing else to move on to. Actually, you get some of the context. Have a look down in the start of Galatians 2 there as well. You, if you can't a bit earlier, you'll see it makes it all the more remarkable. 2 verse 1, then after 14 years, I went up again, Paul, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along. 
I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, the, the apostles. I, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. You know, even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose, get this, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. It's the same phrase. It's the start of Paul's ministry. He's, he's gone to the apostles in Jerusalem. He's shown that he's orthodox. He's, his gospel to the Gentiles is the gospel of grace. He's not a false teacher. He is legit. There was pressure on Titus to be circumcised. Why? Well, they don't want him. They don't allow him to be circumcised so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. It's when the gospel is challenged that they make a stand. Verse 5 and verse 14, it's the same words, the same idea. The truth of the gospel is challenged because Gentiles were being required to adopt a Jewish behaviour. Whether it's Titus being circumcised or whether it's food laws, Paul says no. No, we don't do this. All Jews and Gentiles, whatever stripe, whatever background, all accepted on the same terms, same boat, same message, same gospel, same standing. If we add law on again, we lose the grace that we had in the first place. It's a, slide, it's a side note. Matt and I were talking about whether to use this for the kids' lot, and he, went for, he, he wasn't sure whether he'd be able to. Um, I'm going to go anyway. So um, the walking straight word, the not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, is, it means walking straight, and the straight word there is ortho, as in orthodontist. So for some of us, remember back to being teenagers and having to have those things in your mouth to make your teeth straight because they were wonky. Maybe some of us needed them, didn't get them. Anyway... That's me. Um, Peter's living now is not straight. It does not match up with the gospel message. And so he is challenged. Again, this all feels slightly obscure, I I, I expect. Um, As we sort of draw final-ish bend, how does this help us for 2022? How does this help us as a church? How does this help us think about gospel culture among us? I've got four brief areas for us to consider. The first one, hopefully on the screen, the first one is know that your actions impact others. We've said this already, but our lives tell a story. People are watching. God has put people in your life this coming week who are watching you. How we live is being seen by others. Which is why Peter's misunderstanding Peter's sin was so important but it isn't just that they are watching us they are interpreting how we live as well our actions reveal what we really believe our actions reveal what we really believe I think it's worth noting the place of peer pressure too There seems to be something of that going on in Galatia. Peter had been influenced, he had been squeezed by others to live a particular way. We we don't exactly know why their influence had been so effective. That even Peter had been turned, but they had. But again, that just hints that whoever you are, however long you've been a believer, whatever your position or your status or your standing, if even Peter can be nudged unhelpfully, can be pressured to live a particular way, 
then we all need to be careful. Be aware that you can be influenced for the bad, whoever you are. Second one is this. Know that at times we might need to challenge, to challenge people. We're to be as, as flexible and as pliable and as moldable as possible, but where the gospel truth is at stake, it is right that we stand our ground. Where gospel living does not match gospel truth, then we need to, in love, make a stand. Even at times to challenge or to admonish or to rebuke. I take it even at times in a public setting, if that is necessary. Maybe one of our, one of the, the fruit from this series might be that week by week, God will help us to see where we are inconsistent, where there is a disconnect in our lives. Maybe we need to pray that, and in love, that we would carefully, kindly help each other see that, such that the, the message of our lives better matches the message of our mouths. When the grace of the gospel is lost, then people can be lost. Even if it's a public setting, even if it's a public sin, we need to be prepared to make a stand. Not as a personality clash or because we're an exhibitionist and we like conflict or because of anger issues or a power play or any of those things. But simply because the truth of the gospel matters too much not to say something. And I'm aware that can feel quite awkward because we live in a world that says well, every person's faith is a private thing. Every person's truth and every person's path is legitimate. You know, you just do you. And yet I don't think Paul would agree. I don't think the Bible would agree with us. Where you have such a thing as unstraight living, then because the gospel is straight, because the gospel is the yardstick, it is right that at times we challenge. There is such a thing as truth. And so we're called to speak up. Third one, know that we need to keep reforming. That is, we are always reforming. Now, I do wonder here if this Galatians 2 situation, because of who is involved and because of the key time in which it happened, that it was a fragile early church, and so this error mattered particularly an issue here ends up with a huge issue later on if it's not um, dealt with. But I think the principle remains for all of us. That is that we need to be those who are carefully and prayerfully bringing all of our lives, each and every bit, into line with the truth of the gospel, our yardstick, again and again and again, always reforming. That is what this series is about. said before it's very easy for us to sort of slide into midlife christian mediocrity where we don't really notice anymore we don't really care anymore and yet it's right that we are always reforming to to stretch our analogies a bit too far there might be various places where we don't even notice that we're eating steak even though we're meant to be a vegan or places that we don't notice that we are the way that we live is not straight in line with the yardstick of the gospel where we forget that we are, oh, we're in Christ now. I'm not still in Adam. I'm living in a kind of very Adamic-type way in this area. Maybe we undermine that truth 
The truth that we, we say we believe in through how we speak, through how we treat people, through how we spend our money, or how we drink, or our behaviour, or when everything has gone wrong, what do we do? Or, or anxiety, or internet usage, or media consumption, or, or whatever it might be. What we say and what we do, with God's help, need to be as close as possible. That might be true as you as an individual, that might be true in your marriage, it might be true in your family or any community or any group that you're a part of. It might be true in your workplace, in your neighbourhood, in your sports team, whatever it is. Are there ways in which we, we live that don't match the truth that we say that we believe in? It's maybe my prayer that the Lord will kindly and gently open up our eyes to see some of those disconnects where those moments are that we need by his spirit to, to be reformed. Maybe it's actually how we grow as believers. That seems to be something, perhaps, of what's going on in Galatia, that not, we're not to be those who add sort of extra laws that we might be more godly. It's a sort of New Year's resolution. Of, I must get up earlier at 5 a.m. I must read more of my Bible and I must pray more. And if only I can just... And we end up beating ourselves. It works at the individual level, and as I said, but it works at the cultural level too, as us as a church. The way that we treat each other, the message that we as a church family give to those looking in and to those within. So there'll be some good, uncomfortable yet kind conversations we probably need to have. Third one, we keep performing. Fourth one, and here we'll end, know that it is Christ's life within us. That is... The way this section ends in Galatians, or at least this part of the section, is in 2 verse 20 that Joanna read for us. That was why we read so far, because that is the conclusion of this section in one sense. Paul famously says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that verse is a series in itself. But just notice, he says... I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is, the Dan Steele of old has gone, and there's a new one who, in Christ. He gives me the life to live. And so the answer to these disconnects, these answer to these weeks that we're going to be spending time in these verses is not, I must try harder, I must do more. And so we end up feeling burdened and guilty and overloaded and demoralised, but, but rather we grasp to a greater degree that our life is now in Christ. That we remember we're not in Adam anymore. We are in Christ now. And that is to filter down to all the little nooks and crannies of our lives. We are united to him. He died on the Friday and we died. He rose on the Sunday and we were raised. The old us in Adam has gone. The new us in Christ is here. So it's not burdened by more and more and more things to do and oh, aren't I awful, but made alive by his spirit to walk with him. One last illustration for you. John Calvin puts it, that as believers we have been engrafted into the death of Christ we derive a secret energy from it as the shoot does from the root. It's like we're a new plant. And we are the shoots growing off this new root of being in Christ because we are joined to him. 
And so how we live now, it's not this idea of disconnection, but no, it's knowing that Christ's life is the way that we live now. He makes us alive. We are to look to him. We are to know that we are in him. We are filled with his spirit. We are to live recognizing the reality of our being in Christ. I wonder if often we kind of put off roots in different places and we look for nourishment or life in some way from them. And yet I think Calvin's right. We, we are to derive a secret energy from being engrafted into Christ, recognising that is who we truly are now. We are in him. Let's pray. Lord, when, when you shine your light, often we want to run or we want to fight or self-justify. Or... And yet we pray this week and beyond as we, as we think through these, the reality of the disconnects in our lives, as we, as we engage with them, we pray that we might turn afresh to Christ each week that we might know something more of our identity of being in him. That we might know that we have been grafted in, that we are his, that the life that we now live in the body is lived by faith in him. Indeed, it is his life living in and through us. We thank you that your spirit lives in us. And so we pray as we look to this week ahead, to this series ahead, that we might know more of you, more of your smile towards us. Your people are watching, and so please help us to live in a way that adorns the reality of our new identity. Please help us to keep reforming, to keep being willing to bring our messy lives under the, the call of the gospel. We long that increasingly for us as individuals and us as a church, the message that we speak or sing would increasingly be in line with the message that our lives speak. Show us our blind spots. Show us what it means to please you increasingly, we pray. Shape us more into the likes of Jesus. In his name. Amen.